there. My name is Michael Brady, and I am from Partners for Karmic Freedom, soon to become Karmic Freedom, LLC. And I, our, my website is karmicfreedom.com, and will always be that. And uh, Gmail is karmicfreedom at gmail.com. So very soon, everything will be Karmic Freedom. <laughs> and it is... Um, Sunday, um, April 30th, the last day of April, happy May, as of tomorrow, uh, and it's um, about noontime, and I'm doing a podcast this week that's my first uh, interview with someone, not just me talking, and it is with a a dear friend of mine and um, a student, a client of mine named uh, Karen Maharaj, and she's the author of the book Struck by Reality, Struck by Reality, and I'm going to switch my microphone around. You just heard me move something. Um, And I'm here to talk to her today about her amazing experience in life and the reason that she became an author in the first place, Um, because it, it really is illustrative of our of all of our journey in life which is to seek purpose and meaning uh and to um be in touch with ourselves more uh so karen hi it's 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 a pleasure to have you here with me today hi michael the pleasure is mine um let's start with a little bit about you. You you were born in Trinidad or you were born here? I was born in Trinidad. And raised there, right? Yes. Okay. And you came to the States when? When I was 15. Right. Okay. So um, that's your background, in case anybody needs to know that. Um, and your purpose in life, you said to me earlier, was from early childhood that uh, based on your karma we now know having talked about karma quite a bit with each other um y- you were uh, n- had to find your own way had to find out how to take care of yourself in life so in, on a physical level even from always childhood you knew that you need to grow up and learn how to take care of yourself in the world to to fend for yourself in that sense right yes i needed to be self-reliant and learn to be responsible for myself right okay so that's the karma you came in with yes and at the same time you were also said to me earlier that um you became interested in self-awareness spirituality our current terms at a very young age starting with catholic faith that you were raised in and by the time you were 11 12 is that what you told me um 10 10, you started to branch off into meditation and... Yes. So my mom in Trinidad, who raised me, was a staunch Catholic. We would go to church every Sunday, walk to church, get there by seven, sit in the front row. I used to wear the things that cover your head. So that was part of the culture there. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's called a mantilla. And, um, or a mantilla is how we called it. And, uh, basically I, I was a Catholic who prayed the rosary every day when Lent came around, we fasted every Friday and broke our fast at 6 PM. Um, and we, we, you know, did all of the things that were a part of the church. Me too. Yeah. I was raised Catholic too, by the way, um, although I didn't have to wear a, a pantilla when I went to church. <laughs> So so when I was 10 years old, um, 
I had this this curiosity about Hinduism and I started to meditate with one of my friends in Trinidad. Her name's Merlin. And uh, Oh, how ironic. Right. Isn't that <laughs> yeah. interesting? Uh and she was from a Hindu background and her grandfather was a pundit. So she was already comfortably in that setting. For me, it was different. I had to, my curiosity about spirituality um, was a little bit not so accepting in my home. So I had, I kind of had to hide. Really? In a Catholic home? Well, yeah. And I, <laughs> Stepping I, outside of the box? That, right, yeah, <laughs> that didn't fly very well, did it? Well, well I had to... Um, I had to meditate and I, we would do these exercises every day and I'd come home and I'd meditate, go take a nap and meditate. I'd sit in the room, shut the door, mm -hmm. sit on the floor, put my back against the wall and meditate. And I was getting to a point where I was experiencing like levitation mm -hmm. um, because you're a young mind. It will happen faster. Absolutely. So I was right. very intrigued. Um, and and I was, it was probably more uh, uh, out-of-body experience by our yes, current terminology. You started disconnecting like from your physical body, from, didn't you? Yes, yes. 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 I've had some out-of-body experiences in my life, too. I know what that is. And, but I hit it, and I did that because I, I knew my mom would not be accepted. Of course not. Are you kidding? Uh, yeah. I was raised Catholic to knew this, this stuff is definitely outside of what anybody talks about. But in the meantime, my dad was not a Catholic. Mm. He would speak of the Creator. And I grew up sitting with him on the veranda looking up at the stars. And he'd infuse all of his philosophical viewpoints on me. And it was at some point when I was going to the library in San Fernando and coming home, I, I ordered a book from the library on the occult uh, theories and he got the book in the mail, and he sent it back, and he said, don't you ever get that ever again. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously he didn't want me to know something. Right. Um, but I was being uh, shown a different way through him, yes. and yet being raised very strictly as a Catholic. Yeah. So it was interesting. So you've been seeking self-enlightenment. You've been seeking self-growth your whole life, really. Yeah, it's my personal... I. I, I cannot um explain it other than I, it's my tick i i think it would be fair to say i think it would be fair to say that you've been obsessed with it obsessed. most of your life yeah. like like my obsession in life has been what is real what is reality mm -hmm. i mean at, at the most concrete level of spirituality that's where i started because i've was very confused about reality growing up, growing up Catholic and stuff. And um, that that drove me, I mean, especially in hindsight, that drove my interest in almost anything that I became interested in and I tried to learn about of my own accord. It was all aimed at trying to figure out who am I and what is going on here and what's real and what's not real about what's happening in my life kind of thing. Um, that was always a very strong drive in me, s starting from early childhood as well. Um, so you grew up to become a what? What did you do in the world when you became an adult? Well, first I, I migrated to the U.S. with my my mom, mm -hmm. my biological mom, and there's a whole story behind that, but we don't need to go into that. And 
I, you know, I graduated high school here and started to go to college. And, I, you know, I, I started down the path of studying nuclear medicine. Nuclear medicine? Yes. And I was in Gainesville, um, top of my class, and my youngest brother had an accident and died. He was 16. And then I sort of lost touch with with things and um they they asked me to go home and come back in a year and i I chose to move to tampa with uh a guy i was dating at the time and then i got a job where i was doing uh data entry and my my manager saw some potential in me and uh, promoted me to a supervisor position because I was starting to look at the system and say, look, you can do this with this and this is how you get the results you want. And then all of a sudden I decided I was going to start studying IT. So I never left Tampa. I started going to USF and I got my degree in information technology a few years later. So you were a techie? Yeah. Okay, all right. And um, you're not a techie anymore, are you? No. How did that happen? Well, I got struck by lightning. You what? (laughs) Oh, wait. You're an author of a book called Struck by Reality, aren't you? Yes. And it's on Amazon, right? Yes. It's, it's available out there for anybody who's interested in it. It's on Amazon. It's, it's available at Barnes and Noble. And it's literally a book about you being struck by lightning. Well, it didn't start out that way. It started out as an experiment in becoming uh, awake in my life. Because mm-hmm. I'd already been going through some things where my life was falling apart. And the sense of, of me becoming more who I needed to be right. in my mission in this lifetime. Right. Although I didn't see it that way at the time. No. However, <laughs> the internal compass was not going to let me lose track of the path that I needed to be. Right. On. Right. And that's really what has always been my driving force. Yeah. Right. You know, most of us, most people, most of us, especially of us who are self seeking or self aware, um, especially, um, our step up we 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 get to the next level we get to the next uh, accomplishment in our life usually when shit happens right okay so first something like disrupts us yes <laughs> and then in our, in our recovery period it leads us somehow or the other to another level or another way of being in our life or a new path in our life kind of thing. And most people have that happen and never really pay attention to it. They don't ever step back and go, oh, well, this great place I'm in now that I never could have thought of five years ago, let's say, mm-hmm. happened because, dun, 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 dun. oh, that crap happened to me back there. Sure. Something traumatic, something dramatic usually happens that upsets our life, and then it it becomes the catalyst. And, and if we're self-aware around that, as 
you and I are now in our life, um, we, we really pay attention to that because we know our life is about to unfold into a better version of what we can have in this life than we could think of it anyway in, in our ego. And if we relax and pay attention to the feedback when, when, when the shit hits the fan, if you will, mm-hmm. as best we can while we're coping with, with whatever that is, um, life, Feeds back all the time to us. And it really, you know, you could see it as God. You could see it as your guardian angel. You could see it as your soul. You could see it as 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 the universe. You, you could see it as Gaia, Mother Nature, any, any, any level you want. But there's feedback that's guiding us to the next better place for us to be in as a yes. person or in our life or, or how our life works. Don't you think that's true? It's true. And it's not just the, you know, the angels and God and nature it's all of it any of and it we, and we, information's we everywhere consciousness to grasp that because if not we're playing small in our own lives yes yes we are right we're playing small and and we get stuck we get stuck at a certain place and you know what when somebody gets stuck my observation at 72 years old and as a counselor since I was in my 20s of some sort or the other uh, is that when a person gets really stuck in their life, they're miserable. So, Michael, that's a great point because that brings me to where I'm at right now. I'm ending a cycle in my life and it's it's the the process of the transition between receiving all that energy from the lightning right let's 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 be realistic yeah like a thousand volts or something i don't i don't, I, no, I, I didn't look it up but i'm sure there's a, a huge amount of voltage going through somebody yes, yes. i wrote some stuff about that on my website however um i feel like this these last few years i've been assimilating and at this point i'm being nudged from within that it's time for me to step up show up and speak up and move into the next phase of my life. Right, which there's is about transition. communication, isn't it? Yes, there's a transition. Speaking out, speaking up. Yes. Either in words or in writing, which you do, yes. right? And and you're no longer an IT, so now you want to be and you are and you're and you're stepping into being what? I'm stepping into being an author of spiritual fiction. I love that. Spiritual fiction? Yes. Oh, wait. Because I have the gift of imagination and I have the gift of wisdom. And I think wisdom was always there for me. Uh, It was very much nurtured by my upbringing and my father's influence on my life. And thank you, Dad. Uh, He's passed. He's since passed. This was all part of these last four years of transitioning. Um, However. That's uh, how long it's been. Ever yeah. since you got struck it's by lightning, going, right? It's Four this, years. This June twenty fourth will make it five years. Five years in June twenty fourth. So, really, getting struck by lightning altered your life course in a major way. Yes. Although you were already beginning to alter it yourself anyway. Yes. But it was a hell of a jolt. <laughs> <laughs> That's pushing you in, <laughs> pushing you forward, so to speak. Yes. Let's let's knock her ass down while we vault her forward in life kind of thing. And you've had four years of assimilating, recovering in a sense, and reorganizing yourself. And you're now at the 
at the threshold of the rest of your life. Yes, and and, and that shift is it's so um every day I have moments of, of awareness of just okay, well what's what's going on here? And it's just realizing this morning as I was driving over here to do this podcast that I am no longer stuck in self-doubt. I remember times when it was hard for me to pick what I wanted to eat off the menu at a restaurant. Now it's like inside me, it's a yes or it's not. You know, it's... it's That space a, in between is gone. It's gone. The gray zone. It's gone. Ambiguity, ambivalence, mm-hmm. wishy-washiness, mm-hmm. undecidedness. Oh, right. God, isn't that an awful space? Right. I mean, I hate that space in life. And I needed to be that way for most of my life in order to have a clear uh, reference point to move forward that, oh my, this, this cycle is over now. I am, I'm transformed. It's, it's what the, the journey of the next phase of my life has begun. It's officially here. Yeah. And if you live to be a hundred, this is sort of like the top of the hill <laughs> Yes. in years, right? Assuming we live to be a hundred, right? So right, right at the top of your hill, the cha- the rest of your life, the next phase of your life is the rest of your life, the downhill part of your life so to speak, right? Absolutely. And uh, I think that happens and it's common for a lot of people who karmically are late developers. I'm a, I'm a karmic late developer. There's stuff in my chart, there's stuff in your chart that indicates to each of us in a lifetime uh, if you're an early developer, a mid-developer, kind of a late developer. I have a very late development. Well, I'm 72 and, and now I'm starting the rest the rest of my life the the next part of my life the the final part of my life and it's it's really like coming out of the closet like you or stepping up and talking up when i've and and it isn't like i haven't ever spoken but i was always the wind under my wife's wings or my partner's wings or my soulmate's wings she was the front person she was the authority she was the leader kind of thing and i was the co-leader but you know that's a half a step to the left and a half a step back mm-hmm. <laughs> from the person in front kind of thing and i've i've always had a sense of urgency in my life feeling like uh i need to hurry up i need to get somewhere i don't know where it is i'm feeling impatient or frustrated especially in the 20s and my 30s i mean it drove me crazy and in my 50s I was beginning to get a sense of who I was. In fact, I I didn't really decide my name or my term, which at that point was a past life regressionist. I didn't really lock onto a term (laughs) internally until around then. I was doing all this stuff. I uh, trained in psychology. I became a psychotherapist and I became uh, a a karmic astrologer and I became a hypnotherapist and then I started doing past life regression. I did all this stuff along the way, but I never really felt like, well, who are you kind of thing until I was about that old. And then it locked in, you know, because I was like, well, how do I decide? Because I, you know, I feel like I'm all these things and I'm, and I'm flip-flopping back and forth. And I finally said, well, that's my major thing. I really am interested in past lives and how they affect karma. And I really believe in karma now and in its efficacy and its 
truthfulness and um it's an excellent way to understand one's life and and to discover our our best path as we move forward as an instrument and past life regression is an integral part of that understanding our past and not just in life but what this life was based on what it came from so that settled in me finally at like 50 now i'm thinking i'm a mystical karmic life coach so I've sort of modified and adjusted it as I finally come out of the closet or out of the woods or something um, this year of my life because of Linda passing and me being left here to carry forth with with uh, everything that we did together kind of thing. So um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get off of myself. That's okay. How could, could, you, could you say that all of that prepared you to be 100% certain at this point in your life that you are a karmic mystic philosopher. Yes. And okay. yes, and understanding karmic astrology, my chart is also an intellectual affirmation of that. There I mean, I could spend hours explaining astrologically why my chart says that about me and and why it says it would be later in my life before that manifested. So, I could say the same for me because I I found myself over the years studying I did a course in miracles. I did the the yep. the, pra- the practicum, the uh, exercises, and I did that over like four years. Yep. And I walked around with that blue book everywhere, and I didn't leave one of those exercises until my inner compass said I got it. So I did it over and over and over, and I did so many different things: uh, emotional freedom technique, body talk, <sighs> matrix reimprinting. Yep heart math coaching uh, certification, uh, emotional emotion code. But I did all of those things as a way of developing me into That's right. a preparation for this phase of my life because I'm 100% certain that I am an author of spiritual fiction. There you go. And this is the path that I will follow. Well, congratulations for having arrived here finally. Thank you. Thank you. So sometimes we do all those things so that it preps us for the thing that we're going to take on, the big thing. Mm -hmm. And then we walk into that with certainty and conviction. That's right. No knowledge is is a waste. All knowledge leads to the truth because everything is part of the truth. Absolutely. Ooh, that's a spiritual accent. Yes. (laughs) And I've been – that's – Interesting that you spoke of that because in college, by the time I was in my second year in college, I was already arguing with myself about psychology because back then you were either a psychodynamicist or you were a behaviorist in psychology. There were like two camps in the academic part of it, right? A psychodynamicist is a person who believes in... um, Emotion and unconscious process and archetypes and all those kind of good things. And a behaviorist doesn't even care if emotion is real. A behaviorist only cares about observable behavioral variables. And if, and, and the premise in behavioral psychology back then was is if we could get a handle on 100% of the behavioral variables involved in an, in a, in a, uh, in an incident in in us or in life, we could absolutely control, shape what comes next. Mm. Very different 
ideologically opposite polarities kind of thing and drove me crazy when I was in undergraduate school in the first year because I don't know. I'm living in I don't know, and I, and I want somebody to tell me how things work, and I got this stuff coming at me that's in opposition to each other and arguing with each other. No, no, it's my way. No, no, it's my way <laughs> over here kind of thing. And um, th- my frustration of that, led me to cling to the word eclectic. Hmm. I decided I was going to be eclectic. What does that mean? Well, it meant for me back then, I'm not going to make up my mind and choose you, or I'm not going to make up my mind and choose you over here. I'm not going to make up my mind. I think both of you are either full of shit or you both are good. It doesn't matter to me which way we say this. Um, I'm, I'm going to take all of you in, and I'm going to learn as many other pieces as I can get along the way, and I don't care whether you agree with each other or not. So I, I adopted that sort of shotgun approach to knowledge back then, and it relieved my aggravation and my confusion a lot because I gave up all that energy of like having to land, having to decide, having to align, having to decide who I was loyal to, all that stuff for a while. Well, that for a while took until I was around 50. So I'm turning 50 and I have to say two things. This is our karmic co- connection here because I have the same philosophy. I will. I, I refuse to be in any specific religion. I mean, I was baptized by both my mom. That's right. Um, but but that wasn't a choice I made. I I don't want to follow a specific path because I I believe everything. <laughs> you know, I truly believe that. I want to explore it all because I think there's so much truth in all all different paths. Well, in the Christian philosophy, there in, in the in the better part of Christian philosophy, not the problematic part of it. There's an axiom in Old Tim where everything leads toward the good. Mm. And, you know, when I thought about that, like over the last 10 years of my life, I've done my best thinking, uh, I think, so far, um, over the last 10 years, and I really drilled on it because my wife became very enamored with gospel music. Mm. First, Elvis Presley's gospel, and he did more gospel music. He recorded more gospel music than he did. He recorded popular music, by the way. Um, And then in... Oak Ridge Boys and anybody that she could find that was more gospel-oriented, she just gravitated to gospel music a lot. So she was playing these songs a lot, and I'd be listening to these songs a lot uh, on the periphery. Um, and I really started to think, of, ponder that, like everything leads toward the good. What, you mean like uh, World War II, II leads toward the good? You mean like being raped in a back alley, being mugged on a street, being shot to death by somebody leads toward the good? What do you mean? So, you know, because our, our, our Piscean era beliefs, our, last, our, our strongest beliefs over the last 2,000 years, have pitted good against evil mm-hmm. or evil against good. And everything leads toward the good is more than good and evil. It goes beyond that that concept. So sorting that out, coming from the baseline we all do, uh, really took me a while to wrap my hands, or my head around that or my heart around that and sort that out. But as I got older, the last 10 years, in my 60s... Um, and as we got out of the Piscean 
here. And 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 after you and I got through enough of learning this and that and that and this and that and the other thing and 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 not choosing one thing and throwing everything else out, but trying to include everything, being all inclusive is, is another word for eclectic, right? Yeah. Um, we finally saw how all those disparate things really do interrelate. They come together at some point, and you're going, oh, even though if you just look over here at this elementary level at something, it doesn't agree at all with this. But if you look at it in a more complex way, or you have other things thrown into it too, there's a bridge that gets formed. And eventually, everything is interrelated. I ended up talking about skiing and snowboarding and therapy. I I ended up rolling in music and vocalization and playing guitars because those are my passions in life, right? Into my work. And I'm talking to people about... and. And and they don't ski or board or they don't play music. I mean, isn't what they do, it isn't their hobbies. But my understanding of those things helped me illustrate, helped me talk to them about something that was pertinent to them that they came to me as a counselor to help them with. Uh, you know, so I started seeing over time like, oh, like anything you learn, everything you learn eventually becomes a tool in your bag that you can pull out and use at something that you don't even think originally has anything to do with it absolutely all knowledge leads to the truth all knowledge is the truth everything is a part of the truth those were so confusing axioms to me for many years of my life it it took me a long time to begin to go oh i think i start seeing what that means now Hmm. and i think that's a part of what's happening in our world today is that we're in this very tossed salad experience right now of extremism and tossed salad. It, I think is a good analogy here. Okay. It's all, all the shits up in the air here. Okay. We're waiting for it to come down on the plate or in a bowl and see what it looks like when it lands kind of thing. Um, and those are of course, you know, the worst of times and the best of times, which is exactly a statement of where we're at. Oh, that's in tail for uh, tail of two cities, a very old, a very old novel, isn't it? Hmm. Um, I I think we're in that. And when we land, what we're going to land on is a new order. We're, we're, we're all going to end up in a new place. That's what I'm thinking. That's hopeful. Well, I am an optimist. Uh, well, I do believe that God is benign. I believe that the universe is benign. Now, I argue with myself about that quite a bit along the way. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> But um, I'm I'm very certain at this point that that's true. I feel like that could possibly be true as well. Good. So let's go back to your first book, Struck by Reality. Let's go back to what was it like for you to actually experience something like that? I I I I, I can't imagine people out there aren't curious or wanting to know what that's like really for somebody it's been a journey michael it's it's it was overwhelming and the worst part is that you know james died in front of me and i didn't acknowledge it until i kind of had to be told in my face right no not this is happening. And James was a person you had recently met and you were starting to date 
we were we had known each other for six weeks. So six that was weeks, like our first official date outside in public. Your okay, so your first date with a guy, mm-hmm. your brand new guy, yes. maybe guy kind of thing, yeah. right? Okay, and you both came out of the water at at the end of a day. There was uh, cloud cover and there was a storm brewing kind of thing, and it was time to leave the beach, and. You were what, like a foot away from him at the time? Well, I was, uh, I was, I had been reading, and he was out there snorkeling at Point of Rocks in Siesta Key. And as the rain started to come down, you know, I packed up my stuff. I saw everybody was leaving, and packed up my stuff and left it there. And then I started to head in his direction, which was south on the beach, and then. He was coming and met up, and as we were starting to walk away, pick the stuff up and walk away toward the parking lot, the storm was coming from behind us. Uh So we were just hustling to get off the beach, and basically it just all happened. It happened in a flash. Boom, yeah. But time completely stopped. There was, you know, no... uh, other way to put it. It, it did it knock you both down it knocked me down not him no no kidding i saw the spark at the side right here i can't it's right here on the right side of my by my temple yeah. and at that point james didn't have any concept but but i had fallen back about maybe a couple steps behind him on his left and so when this spark came here i was like you know confused but then it was already happening i lost control of what i had in my hands the bag in my hands and it all fell to the floor and the next thing you know i was falling down i was kind of like it was like a a blow back and i was on my butt and i was on my elbows and just trying to catch myself and figure out it is there wasn't enough time for thoughts no and what was happening is just an overwhelming sense of, I couldn't feel my body. I was paralyzed. Right. And then I was screaming his name because I was seeing it happening to him. And But James wasn't hearing me, I don't think. And I couldn't hear what I was saying. I would know I was saying it out loud, but I right. couldn't hear myself. And right. then the rest of it just, it was a blur. And... uh. You know, I've really worked on trying to not capture the details in my mind so much because I got a little oh, stuck in my life these last few years. And lately I've been affirming, you know, uh, because I've been doing all these different meditations to work with my migraines, yeah. which I now see as a positive thing because we had a storm last night and the uh, my eyes were all red and kind of pressure behind my eyes. That's what happens and they start itching. Um, and I would think you have have a responsiveness to storm conditions well, now that you didn't oh, have yeah. before, I, right? It feels like I, I know. I know when it's yeah, right. changing. <laughs> I'm Karen says there's a storm coming 50 miles away, <laughs> and it should be here in two hours yes. and a quarter, right? <laughs> yeah. how, do you, how does she know that? Trust me, she knows that. <laughs> so, you know, I sit there, and I'm, like, doing affirmations, you know, and I just – I say I'm willing to release the pattern in my consciousness – consciousness that's created this condition in my life however i i'm also very aware that i've gotten a, this is this energy that i received in my body is is somehow a gift to me and 
I'm embracing it. Ah. So I'm not seeing it as a negative thing. You know how anymore. important that is. Yes. Okay, because how you choose to frame, how you choose to hold that will affect how that energy impacts your body, not just at the time you're struck or the next day or the next month, but maybe the rest of your life because in a sense that's a lifetime of voltage coming through you in like 0.5 seconds. Right. And then I I'm using it to propel myself forward and to see the light. You know, I was practicing giving PD light. Like I was involved in this 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 spiritual practice when I lived in New York. It called Mahikari, and you give light. They give you an uh, an object that you wear that comes from Japan, and and you give light to each other, right? Mm -hmm. And that's all it is. They're giving light. So I said, let me give my bird light <laughs> now that you know. Mm -hmm. And I swear to you, when you come over to the house next time, I'll have to show you. I, I give him light from my. My third eye. From your third eye, And right? he closes his eyes every time, and he could see that he's receiving. He's receiving. So I'm testing myself to see what 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 is it I, well, that's I can do with this light. Is this stuff really real? <laughs> I mean, you know, that little part of us, that analytical, mm -hmm. messed up part of us that says, prove it to me, is always talking back there. And I definitely have that analytical part tucked in back there. All of us do. All of us do, yeah. And it takes a long time before we... We, we we no longer align with that part as the ultimate judge of what's real. Yeah. <laughs> and that voice never quite, quite goes away either, does it? Um, so um, how did you – Well, okay, I and you met after this happened to you. I was completely unaware of this incident. I didn't hear it in the news at the time. And you came to me how long after the actual – uh, experience we saw each other in december 2018 and we w after we had a couple sessions we decided that we we're going to do a uh a past life regression type of thing after but we wanted to connect with james to help him transition right to the other side because the next day after the accident remember that big palm tree in the backyard just fell over in front of my eyes it just right. literally fell over the way he fell over on the beach yes i found when i started to work with you um it, i think it was the second appointment we did all of a sudden it occurred to me that uh james wasn't on the other side he wasn't communicating like my wife is is crossed over now and, and and I have contact with her, and she shows up and stuff. But she's not following me out of the bedroom every morning, and she doesn't stay in the house. Okay, like a ghost, you know, like those shows that we watch on television about haunted houses and stuff. Jane, it occurred to me very quickly when you and I were in space together, and, and I was living in a trailer, so it was a little space. It was very close and intimate room, kind of thing. It it occurred to me that uh, no. It, I felt it wasn't an intellectual thing. It was a heart-centered, intuitional, channel thing I could, or an empathic thing. I could feel literally his presence in the room with you when you started talking to him. And I, like another person walked in the room with you and sat down, that was invisible at the time kind of thing, right? Uh, not like you were talking about him when he had contact with you at home, but he was like right here, right now. And it occurred to me that he didn't leave, he didn't cross over when he left his body. He And me having read so much of my life, I've read tons of stories about ghosts 
haunting houses and stuff, okay? And most often, those people who hang around for 50 years in a house usually involve some sort of abrupt out-of-the-body experience when they die. So there's often a period of confusion sometimes where a person, like, doesn't know that they don't have a body anymore. And they're thinking, why doesn't that person talk to me when when I tap them on the shoulder? Or why don't they hear me? Or, Or, you know... Those kind of things. And it occurred to me that James hadn't crossed over and he was he was still present with you as much as a person could be present when we started to work together. And it was pertinent that we did that first session because by the time we got to the past life regression and we saw how we had connected. Right. It was an abrupt disconnect in that lifetime in in our in our connection and when James and I decided to do this in this lifetime it the same thing happened we disconnected and we both that's correct didn't uh, didn't know how to handle the the, the exit right exactly so, and it, and it was a direct tit for tat so he karmically. stuck around yeah yep. he, stuck, he stuck around he he came he came around and did the favor for you that you tried to do for him in a past lifetime. Mm-hmm. And that was in the past lifetime, You, uh, after we got to it, um, y- you had died abruptly. It was a car accident. Yes. Uh, and he was your brother. Yes. And you never crossed over. You ghosted him for years of his yes. life. And he never made the connection. He could never feel you. And... Uh, and uh, he was so distraught uh, uh, about your death and, and the loss of you that he never engaged in having a relationship again. No, and he thought uh, that it was whole his life. fault. That's right, and he thought it was his fault kind of thing, right. So this was an actual content that mirrored that where it flipped it, where James now is the spirit and you're the one in the earth frame and he's trying to help you connect and resolve what had happened so you wouldn't feel guilty in this lifetime like he felt in and that's what we got to in that past life regression it was an amazing experience with you and it was very important that i'm that i had that 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 awareness with you about that because i could have easily gone down that path yes well i think there's i don't think anything's an accident Okay, like I and you are not strangers to mm-hmm. each other just because we didn't meet before that year of our life. We karmically have had lots of lifetimes together, and I think most of what we encourage, we encounter in our life, we set up with other souls before we get here. We write scripts with each other, yes. I think. So I and you know each other very deeply from other lifetimes. In fact, we were just speaking about that before we went on air with each other. Uh, that it, that at least currently in recent karmic lifetimes, it's more like I'm probably an older sibling yes. kind of connection with you and you with me. But we're 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 family. It, it has that closeness, that feel to it to us both. And that was there right from the beginning, underneath kind of thing. So yes. it made it very easy for us for us to come together and to, and to work with each other. Um, and for me, it was the. It was a surprise. It was uh, out of the box for me to connect with you on that second appointment and go, oh, he's literally in the room. Oh, he followed her home here in a car. Oh, he's, he hasn't left her. He's still on the date, so to speak, kind of thing. Yeah. And once I got that, I knew that that was more important 
that that I needed to help you communicate with him as a spirit so that you, that exchange could occur between you two so that he could be free to go and you wouldn't have to feel guilty and you both had some closure with each other because on the physical level there was no closure it was you were there and then, right all of a sudden you, you, you know you weren't with each other um and then that that groundwork really allowed you then to let me guide you to what's the past life that this that this experience in this lifetime with James is based on, and we went back and looked at that, and damn, that story showed up just the way it's supposed to. Actually, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm at the place, I'm at the place of my arrives. I, I was at the place of my life at that point where I could see what was coming because I've had so many of these experiences. I I'm seeing how everything's connected. You know what I mean? Um, I knew that there had to be a tit for tat structure to what's going on if it's unconscious um so that story in fact mirrored this lifetime's event where you were separated physically from each other abruptly and one of you is a spirit trying to connect to the other person to make them feel okay and the other person struggling with feeling guilty and trapped and what's wrong with me and you know all that stuff that goes on uh and it was a really beautiful uh example for me experience of me of how perfectly karma works because in my lifetime as a past life regressionist uh, what i've come to know and understand is that when we're not self-aware and maybe 80 percent 85 percent of the time in our incarnations we live and die and we never get our head out of our spiritual butt so to speak we never become (laughs) self-aware uh, so, you know, I'm just Michael and I am who I am and I'm doing what I'm doing. This is what's happened in my life, man. Okay. I mean, you know, that kind of not tuned in to anything more than what's in your face. Uh, experience of life is very common across the board up to this point in our incarnations. I've observed and learned. And um, when it's unconscious, the only way we make progress now, we come here. I believe the reason we that this plane exists, the reason that we exist as part of this plane, that we exist as uh, uh, an important central part of this plane, uh, not on a physical level, but on a on a spiritual level. Um, there was a physicist some years ago that posited that um, what makes human beings centrally important in the universe. Now he wasn't talking about God; he was talking about the universe. Was this? He, I mean. If you look at us physically, we're like a grain of sand on all of the oceans on Earth. We're one grain of sand. If even a grain. Yeah, uh, of hundreds of billions of trillions of, of grains of sand that, that comprise all the beaches on the planet Earth. Okay, on that level, we're so a- insignificant, we don't even matter. He said, but on this other level, we're the only the only entities we are aware of that are capable of being conscious of the entire electromagnetic spectrum. And when you get to quantum physics, the electromagnetic spectrum spectrum is, is, is a description of the foundation of reality. Matter emerges out of energy. Yes. Well, the electromagnetic spectrum is a field. A field is an energy field. 
And so the the foundation of reality is our, our fields like gravitation and magnetism, electromagnetism, yeah. electricity and magnetism are the two basic fields that form the basis out of which everything that we call real emerges. So uh, w- when I got that, I uh, just lost track of what I was going to talk about. Oh, I love it when I do this. Um, help me out. <laughs> so what was I talking about? Quantum physics and when we get to... Oh, right. Karma. Karma. Okay. So unconsciously, we are trying to learn how to love each other here. Love is the reason for reality. It's hard to take it from that uh, level of vastness and bring it back to the grain of sand that, you know, okay, so, well, right. So I think okay. that's where you well, transition has to do with consciousness. He was saying that we are the only entities who are aware enough to be aware of the electromagnetic spectrum, the whole range of it. We exist in a little tiny part of the electromagnetic spectrum. He said, there is no other, um, primate. There is no other, uh, organism that we know of on earth. And we haven't bumped in anybody as smart as us outside of Earth yet <laughs> that we can prove anyway. Um, what if we're God examining his own creation? We're the mind of God, the awareness of God examining him or herself. That was the idea he posited in that article. And when I read it, I went, oh, that's sweet. That, that, that is such, that is just a perfect idea. Because, just a perfect idea. Because ultimately that, that, that consciousness is has come into the body of Michael or the body of Karen right and experiencing life through this very narrow vessel and now this very na- narrow vessel is is becoming self-aware yes right? yes so as we become self-aware all of consciousness is uh uh is compiling this this information of itself being aware through this specific vessel mm-hmm. and i think that's how it's happening to 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 the extent of where you say the universe is becoming conscious of itself it's absolutely true and, and uh, that's why it's expanding it's, yes i would agree with that yes and it's expanding now I, I i i think we're in a major expansion period in fact i think we're at the end of our cosmic spiritual childhood in the beginning the first day of our the rest of our life as cosmic spiritual adults so this this transitional life i think is unique and uniquely powerful in that sense never to be repeated exactly the same way and we're leaving behind us something completely done as we move forward like once you become a grown-up you you know, your childhood is a memory. What you were like, what you did, what was important to you fades and fades and fades and fades and becomes smaller and smaller and smaller until it has not much to do with what's occupying the fullness of who you are as an adult on human level. I think once you get that on any level, that process down, it works the same everywhere. So on a cosmic level, I think it's working the same way. Right. So do you, would you say that's the primary characteristic of the age of Aquarius? This is a unique age of Aquarius. We've had many ages of Aquarius because uh, astrological age is every 2,000 years. And this is not the first age of Aquarius. It's the 25th or the 185th. I don't know. I'd have to 
think about how long we've been on the planet and 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 all that stuff in earthly time to gauge a number here but we've gone around the wheel we've had lifetimes human beings have been here having lifetimes for many rounds around the wheel of life here the the astrological ages so it's not the only age of aquarius it's not the first age of aquarius but it may be the singular age of aquarius it just happens that the age of aquarius is when we stepped out of be done being a child and started being a grown-up so on that level, it's a very special age of Aquarius, and the age of Aquarius is earmarking the beginning of our spiritual adulthood. So if I come back to your story with James in your past life thing, uh, most of the time, 85% of the time, 80% of the time, as we go through our, our lifetimes, we live and die unaware of ourselves. And the only way you make progress in the in the axiom of existence, which is and all spiritual sources have a version of this story. And in the Bible, it's the Adam and Eve story being spelled from the garden. God sent us down here and said, shoo, go out there and find your way back to the garden. Well, finding your way back to the garden, you know, before they ate the, the apple, the, the, the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that's what the apple stood for. Um, they were in heaven on earth. They were in paradise but paradise was something they were unaware of themselves in. They were just in it. So that real that story really talks about that you know their sin was that they chose to eat the fruit of good and evil, the awareness of good and evil, which is another archy way of saying self awareness of I'm here and I'm not you and you're not me and we're all not the same. We're different. We're separate and. At some point, God expels us from paradise and says, shoo, go down there and screw around and find your own way back here. Okay, so we end up back in, you know, the implication of of that theme is that we end up back in paradise, back in heaven. You can play with words here. Um, But when we get back to where we started, we know who we are and we know what we're about and we know what this place is about. We know what God is about. We know. We know what everything's about. We're aware, self-aware. And so this this journey here from lifetime to lifetime is an effort to become self-aware about what? Well, about one, existence, and two, what are we doing here? I mean, that's the next logical kind of question, isn't it? And the answer spiritually is we are, we are here to learn how to love us, ourself, and somebody else. If you can, and, and, and if you learn how to love yourself and somebody else, then you can learn how to love everybody else and all the other selves out there beside yourself, right? Okay. And that's still not complete. That still doesn't explain enough for me because, well, the opposite of love we've been told is hate, right? So there's kind of like, matter and antimatter. There's love and there's anti-love. I don't think that's really true on a spiritual level around love. I think I think that love is emotion. And when I say the word emotion, I come up with five words, glad, mad, sad, scared, and ashamed. And then we distorted the hell out of shame into a thing we call guilt recently over the last couple of thousand years. Um, those emotions, except for glad, are distressful for most people when they show up. I'm, I'm trying to use a non-moral, non-judgmental word here. They're distressful. The only one that's, ah, 
gratifying, satisfying, satisfying enough is the glad category, right? Hmm. Well, all emotion is love means that feeling sad, feeling scared, feeling mad, feeling ashamed are parts of love. So once you get into that complexity for me, you have to start to think about love differently. And for me, it breaks down into constructive love or destructive love because the two things that go on on this plane are creation and destruction, are they not? Mm-hmm. Everywhere, all the time. We're, we're immersed in it. We're part of it. It is how we work. The universe, this container we call the universe, that really isn't contained, by the way. We don't have a way to put a box, a, a, a boundary around the universe. It is endless and infinite as far as we can know. And we're only examining a little slice of that with telescopes these days out out in the outer orbit. We're only seeing a little, like hundred thousandths of the universe probably. And it's so huge when we look at the graphics coming back from our satellites, it blows our minds every day. There's no way that we know what the box is of the universe, but at any rate, we're part of it. It's part of us. And it's doing something, and what what we're doing with that is we are playing with creation and destruction in this reality on this plane. We're coming and going. On all levels. On all levels. Even the box is coming and going, as far as we can tell, because we can't put the box together. We can't put a frame around what we're in and call it contained in, in any way. And... So when I get to constructive and destructive love, that begins to make sense to me because each incarnation, particularly when we're unconscious, we're, we're working our way up a hill and over a hill and down the other side, which is in mathematics called a bell-shaped curve. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mountains and hills and, and, and math have something in common. Um, and if you look at physically what it's like to go up a hill, the further you go, the harder it gets, the tighter you are, the more it's sucking energy out of you. This sucks. I just want to stop. That's the experience of going uphill, isn't it? Not in my mountain goat story. Of, of course. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but you've got self-awareness in there kind of thing. Okay, so yeah, that's an exception right now. Once you get to the top of a hill, let's say, you know, it, it was a mountain hike, you know, on a road, and it was a a 12-mile hike from one side of the mountain to the other side. Well, I've, I've actually done this, okay? That's going to take a six-hour day to pull that off probably or a eight-hour day to pull that off. That's a long walk, okay? It's a lot, yeah. Right. When you get to the top of the mountain pass or the road going over that mountain, and I, I spent years in Vermont, so I'm, I'm literally thinking of a, of a road in a particular mountain I've walked. Um, you know, you're worn out. You're tired. You've got uh, blisters on your feet. You're hungry. You're thirsty. And now you've got the other side to go down. Well, the other side is a whole different experience than the uphill, isn't it? Yes. Because gravity comes into play. You don't work as hard. Plus, you're using opposite muscles, okay? So you're using un- unstrained muscles for a while. And it's kind of like the further I go, the faster I go, the easier it gets, the more fun I'm having Yahoo going downhill. So going uphill sucks. Going downhill is great, basically speaking, as an as as an energy experience description for me. Well, that's what love. That's what our journey with love is on this plane. We started at the bottom of the hill. God said, "Shoot, go down there and play around until you figure out how to get back here." Well, you got to climb this mountain to get back here, 
And we started at the foot of a mountain, this incarnational plane. And all this time, we've been trudging uphill. If we are truly stepping from childhood to adulthood right now in this lifetime spiritually, incarnationally, then we are at the top of that hill. And as we move forward, it's the downhill side of that. And and the difference between the two is really qualitative in, in our experience. Things are going to get easier. Things are going to get better. That's the good news here. Um, and we're right at that turning point. Oh, a turning point is a good word here. Turning point. We're at a turning point, the top of the hill. And in our unconscious incarnations up until now, the the the, the way we made any progress about how we love each other well, how we love each other less badly, because uphill is about less badly, less badly, less badly, less badly, less badly, mm-hmm. until you get to the top. When you get over the top of the hill of love, then it's better and better and better and better, right? Because that's that's a way to describe that energetic quality that we're talking about that's not the same on both sides of the hill here. When we are incarnating unconsciously, the little bit of progress we make is that if you mess with me and then I mess with you in an equal kind of way, lifetime to lifetime, in one lifetime you mess me and the other and the next time around I mess with you, we at least exhaust how messed up we're we're trying to love each other. So we love each other less badly, a little bit. A little bit, okay? (laughs) Until we get to the top. And and Yes, and usually we've exhausted an entire lifetime to pull that off in some important way with one person when we're unconscious, Mm. which is where 80-85% of our incarnations have probably been experienced. It's been a very slow, sludgy trudge up this hill called incarnating up to this point, I think. However, if in any of those lifetimes you pop up and become self-aware self-examining like huh what does that mean what's going why am i here right then everything changes because instead of having to literally play out a little bit of karma with somebody and and exhaust how badly we did it so we do it less badly the next time we can not have to spend a whole lifetime doing that and we don't have to just focus on our progress with one person which we end up doing if we're unconscious in the end um we can spread it around. We can deal with five people or 10 people right. or 100 people if we want to while we're here, okay? And, you know, because we don't have to use our body up in order to do it. We can use our mind. We can change our mind about things. Now, changing your mind isn't just intellectual. You've got to have your heart center involved, the other part of your brain. You have to change your feelings and your thoughts. Ah. I think that's an important lesson for me because um, the awareness of of choice, you know, the choices – that we make and and to some some degree i realize that karmically i've neutralized to i'm at a point where i've neutralized a lot of stuff negative stuff in my right life. right you've cleaned out a lot of the so negative stuff at this point i am consciously moving forward in a way to not incur any more Neg- negative negative karma yes Yes, and that frees you up to focus your attention and your energy on, on opening up to positive karma, let's positive call it, in this frame. in my That's direct right. surroundings. And in fact, I look back on our history now, at this point in history, uh, and we've been children, 
and 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 the cosmos, the universe has been in its childhood too. We're part of the. If we're talking about us, we're talking about the universe because we we are the universe. We are we're part. In the we're 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 part, part of the universe. It made us, so to speak, right? Yeah. So what is true for me is true for it. What is true for it is is true for me. Has to be true. We are. Uh, we have been living in deprivation, never having enough in childhood, which is a state of of growth and development that's less than complete. So it is in a state of deprivation and need. And we're just now, the universe is just now turning and arriving at its maturation, its adulthood, which is a a time in on a material level, on a spiritual level, on a physical level, all of it the same, a time of plentitude, of more than enough. It's also a shift in our our minds to the focus that uh, it begins in the mind. You know, the the creation of our lives. Mm -hmm. You got to think of something before it can happen, right? right? So so we're, we're... in better control of our entire way of processing life, our thinking, our our unconscious thoughts. Yes, as long as we also include our other brain and the other part of our mind, our rational mind, which is the emotional part of right, us. Right, because the emotional part is a bigger part, and that's where being driven by this, the, uh, our subconscious. That's right, because Jung desires, said, if there's um, any conflict between what you think and what you feel, mm-hmm. feelings trump thinking. Right, because it's, it's based on, on desire. Yes, exactly. So if, both of, if we become more self-aware now, and that self-awareness includes connection to not just our thinking and our head, but our heart, our other brain, and our feelings, which is how your brain rationally processes meaning in life, even though feelings can get all balled up and contaminated, when you strip away the contamination from your feelings, feelings are a language that tell you the truth about something. And when you get all balled up, you have to be brave enough to just sit there for a while and take the ball and say, let me pull it apart and That's see what's right. underneath that. That's right. Yeah. And then work through it. Tuning be- in yeah. to ourself is the most important thing we do. And not just our thoughts, but our fe- our guts, our, our feelings. Yes. And currently... Science is asking us to do exactly the opposite of that, to discard all of that and just work with our minds. I mean, currently, the best work in psychiatry, psychology, and brain science, in, in, in brain science, is trying to map out how, watch this, our consciousness emerges from the neuronal action of our brains. Well, that's positing, that's presuming a presumption in the beginning upon which everything else is built. That's presuming that energy, consciousness, emerges out of matter. Matter is there first. That's, nope. actu- that's actually backwards, right? Okay. <laughs> no, I was telling you earlier how there's something that I know I've recognized in myself since uh, twenty the, since the lightning accident is that there's a knowing, right? Yes. And I think 
knowing this knowing comes for us at, at an older age anyway if if we're lucky we probably have it younger but i feel like when you said that i just it was like no and that's it i i didn't have to argue with it or anything inside myself i knew because you were processing that first. with your heart right matter does not come first it's yep. energy first yep you, your head, our intellects, our intellectualization, the best it can ever give us is probability. And probability is less than certainty, right, by definition. Mm-hmm. And yet there are times in life when we're absolutely certain about something. Isn't that true? Yes. And so it's not our head, is it? It's not our intellect that, that, that lances there. So you've got to ask yourself, where's that coming from? It's coming from the other literal brain in your body. So would you say I'm more connected to my heart now than I've ever been? Yes. You, the, being struck by lightning connected your butt to your heart really strongly, <laughs> one way or, whether you liked it or not, probably. And I'm sure along the way you had moments where you didn't like it at all. No. Because it was tough, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, and, you know, that's an axiom, too, on this plane, uh, about how the material plane works. Your greatest joy can only be equal to your greatest agonies in life. You know, I've found throughout my life that the harder I fell, the taller I was when I got up. Yeah, me too. And somehow, I just moved through it. I may sit there and wallow for a while, but I always have the the drive from within to to reset that compass to Me too. get back on the path. Me too. And you know that I don't know part that you just said. Every time I've examined the critical turning points in my life and thought, you pulled that off. How the hell did you do that? Right. Especially when I was younger, you know, right, when I look back. I really don't have a good rat. I don't have a cognitive good answer to that question. I mean, I could take a shot at it, but it's a crapshoot, really. And when I really dig into it, it's 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 not a conscious choice. It is a helped choice. I have a sense for myself that I have guides. I have guardian angels, or my soul. My wife and I would talk about. It our souls in terms of our best helpmate in life, helping us as it can to get through our life. Our, our souls and our, our guardian angels and our gods are not going to literally take charge of our life. But short of taking charge of our life, if we're listening, if we're open, if we pay attention, and if, if we receive the information, them. they will give us the right nudge at the right time. They'll give us the right affirmation, the right lean to something. And when I look back on my life, that's what it is for me. It's like, I, you know, I could say that my mom, who died when I was six, was a spiritual guide to me until I was like 36 years old. I mean, I have literally times in my life, starting as a very young child, seven, eight, 10, 12, 14, when she would pop into my mind or I have a dream that night about her. And it was, it was somehow connected to something I was struggling with. And she was giving me comfort. She was being with me again kind of thing, which for me was having comfort in my life. Um, and those moments in life, even after I grew up, when I've made the best turn out of all the turn choices, and I look back and think, how did you do that, Michael? Like, How did you get your awareness, I don't know, to that point? And there you go. The I don't know, the I don't know keep popping up. 
the only answer I, I've come up with in my life is it's those guys. It, it's these people that are tagging along with me who are for me, with me, that are when the opening shows up, they, they throw their part in. They throw their energy in. They throw their input in. And it helps me make those critical tips. So trusting in something more than myself. Now, you know, if you're a religious person, you trust in Jesus. You could trust in God the Father in the whole testament. You can trust in the gods if you're not Christian and you're part of the pagan world, all the other gods that are not Christian or pagan, supposedly. Um, or higher source or the universe or your higher self, which is just another word for soul for me. Um Something other than the I in here, the me in here. We are not alone in this journey. We're never alone in this journey. And then even within yourself, you've got not just one person in you. You've got two people in you. You've always got two people at least. You've got your conscious and your unconscious. You've got the part of you that you're aware of and the part of you you're not aware of, which is the alternate way for those terms to be said. Um, There's always a dialogue. There's no such thing as a monologue while we're here. Yes. There's always a relationship between two parts at least. Now you could have three and four and five parts at one time in a conversation, like you have five people in this room with us right now. But the baseline is two. It always boils down to two because anytime you're alone in the bathroom of the universe by yourself, so to speak, whatever you have to say to yourself, it's just going to be what you already know, more of the same. Right. So what if while you're sitting in the bathroom, the cosmic bathroom with yourself, you suck. <laughs> you you no, don't like yourself. You don't that. feel good. <laughs> you're scared to death. You you are 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 terrified. Well then you know, whatever you're gonna say is gonna affirm where you're at. And it right. can't even go beyond that. You gotta be in dialogue with something yourself, with another person, with other people, with other souls. I think being in that space, we've, we've all had to move through that, but to get especially to what we're talking about now, it, and being in that space gives you a good, um, a good indicator that yes. I don't want to be in that space where I don't love myself. I, I'm I'm negative because, you know, I think we've had this discussion before. It's ultimately it's about learning how to love ourselves and others as part of the experience of life. Yes. And the less negative talk we have with ourselves, the less we're going to find that we're putting up roadblocks in our own lives That's right. and, and sabotaging our own good. Yeah. Um, and then if we don't do the negative stuff so much, then we, we open up for more positive possibilities stuff yeah, of possibilities, connecting good with all of the, the the angels and the the higher source, the higher heart, the help from outside heart. of ourselves. I can yep. I can connect with my higher heart if I am not uh, kicking myself down constantly in in my mindset and in my heart set. Allow yes. my heart to to come forward and shine through. Yes, and show me its infinite wisdom. Absolutely. So to bring this back to your past life experience, <laughs> I keep <laughs> anchoring. I, I keep that? anchoring. Well, it's fun to go. It, yes, it's fun it to go where fun. we went with this. What you what you literally did, what I helped you do, and you did for yourself, really, with my help, 
was you connected to a person who had left their body and didn't leave the plane, hadn't crossed over. And you, you with self-awareness, had a conversation with that person and made peace with each other in this life because he couldn't be here anymore in a bodily sense. So that set you free from feeling guilty for the rest of your life, like he felt guilty the rest of his life in the past life. Right. And he could he could cross over. Now, he shows up in your life. I know because you tell me. He yes. shows up. But my wife's showing up in my life. Uh, I can't go out on a walk uh, without three or four and five times a week seeing a symbol uh, all in my path that says, hey, Michael, I'm here. Isn't that from beautiful? Her. It's nice oh, it is. to have those affirming symbols every day. It is. Showing up not only from James. I saw a hawk, what, Friday? Yesterday, yesterday or day before yesterday. And, uh, you know, my dad comes in as, you know, through hawks and in different messages from mm-hmm. different people who have passed over. But right. I know for you, Linda just passed. How has that been for you? What are some of the messages you're re- receiving? Well, our karma together in this lifetime was sh- we came here to be partners uh, lovers, married partners, soulmates, spiritual partners, and she came to be a teacher in this lifetime to lead people from the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius in her jargon, uh, the, the, uh, the astrological frame. I joined with her in that. Uh, I became all those things with her, her peer, her partner. And like in real life, it, it, if you look at somebody who's a ballroom dancer like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers pops into my mind out of my history of great ballroom dancers. But um, if you use ballroom dancing as an analogy for life here, one one person's got to be the dance leader and one person's got to be the follower of the dance or the responder to the you know the other partner, right? They both aren't in charge of the dance because – if you look at the physicality of that, Fred, his eyes are pointed at the dance floor while he's dancing with other people dancing with you. I mean, it's a great example. Not just them on the floor, but them amongst a ballroom of people dancing kind of thing. Fred not only has to take command of how we're doing the step, the dance step, because aside from the basic steps, there's style involved to everything, right. right? So he's judging the style and the steps and he's basically avoiding banging into other people. He's the only person who can avoid banging into other people once you start moving. Now, Ginger, that sounds like he has this really powerful role, but Ginger, I think, has an even more impressive role because she ain't got eyes in the back of her head, honey. And she's walking backwards all the time. He's walking forwards. She's got to learn to walk backwards while he walks forwards. And she can't see where she's going ever. So how the hell do you make that work so well? Well, in an exquisitely skilled dance pair as they were, she basically is reading him. She's reading body movements, pressure in his hand, eye contact. I mean, all kinds of visual and non-visual and conscious and unconscious cues. She's literally having to read him to gauge what she's doing with herself. And when you watch them as a dance pair, they're like one person. There's never any separation, never any hesitation. At the exquisite expert 
skill level they're at. Wow, that is so awesome. Okay, so Lynn and I were like Fred and Ginger. Well, I wasn't Fred. She was. <laughs> okay. I was Ginger. So, so okay. how is it for you now, Michael, that you are coming into the path well, now I'm a tap dancer. <laughs> there, the path I, of Michael. I used to be a ballroom dancer. Now I'm a tap. Okay. I'm being called on to be a tap dancer. That's a good analogy. I have to remember that. I just I, I just came up with that transition in my head. Uh, an earlier version I've used is I I voluntarily I was in line with this. I was the wind under her wings. She was the one flying, and. That stopped when she left and when she crossed over. So it left me just wind. <laughs> I had to figure out how to become something in a sense. So um, astrologically, it's me coming out of my third and ninth house. My Leo Aquarius energy is repressed in my natal chart um, uh, in this lifetime. And it means that that energy comes out later, not sooner. Uh, so her 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 passage was the blowing the door open in my chart and going, okay, it's time to pull out your Leon Aquarius because I had kept it underneath because I was not the front person. And you can't have two people trying to talk at the same time and be the leader at the same time, it, right? Okay. And what's Doesn't that going to look like for you moving forward? Well, um, I am, for the rest of this life, my greatest sense of being on a daily basis is being a karmic life coach. Uh, that's uh, that's the term. That's the highest terminology I'll, I'll I'll ever apply to myself. I think, and then along with that, next to that, I'm a mystical spiritual philosopher. That's my Leo in. Um, that's Leo in my ninth house. Ninth house rules spirituality, broadly speaking. Um, so I'm here to be a spokesperson about spirituality, and so I'm stepping into that now. I've done that, but I've done that, you know, on the side, in the back, underneath, after Linda was in front kind of thing. Now I need to do it in front. I need to do it myself completely. So um, I'm, I'm podcasting. I'll, I'm, 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 I'm becoming um, a public communicator much more in that sense. And my baseline, though, getting out of bed every day, what makes me feel worthwhile climbing out of bed every day is doing one-on-one or family or group, I mean, small group stuff, um, close, intimate, interrelational work with people. I'm a, um, I'm a spiritual coach. My north node in Pisces in the fourth house, one way to boil that down, and my north node stands for my soul mission, what I came here to accomplish, is to be a spiritual companion to other people while I develop my own spiritual foundations at a deeper level. That's one way to understand my chart. Uh, I've been doing that all my life. Ever since I started psychology, I went to college. I've been wanting, I've been growing into the work, the career of being a a person in relationship, doing that for somebody, with someone. Um, Supporting them over time it's it's not um it's not a reader it's not a information presenter i'm gone it isn't a drive-by kind of energy for me it's a sustained kind of relationship with a person over and through time so a karmic coach karmic coaching is the thing that makes makes the week worthwhile to me 
makes me feel good about myself. At the end of the day, this other thing that I'm developing now, the podcasting, the YouTubes I'm going to do, whatever speaking I end up doing uh, in a more public, general way, uh, which is going to have to occupy about a third of my life, probably. Uh, so it's not an, an insignificant part of of my energy field. Um, is new because it's been in the back room. It's been tamped down all these years because I was with Lynn, and now I'm not, and she's and I'm the one left here, kind of thing. So those two things are what's in store for me, and I'm underway. I'm sitting here talking to you, having a podcast. You're doing um, great. And I'm learning. Um, I feel like a new kid. <laughs> I feel like I'm 19 years old when it comes to this public me, the proselytizer person. Um, feels new, uh, you know. Feel I isn't. I'm not going to say uncomfortable, but um, doesn't feel like a natural part of me yet. Uh, so I'm still thinking about it. I'm still working on how I do that and how to do it well and all that stuff. And sometimes asking myself if I have the capacity to do it again, right? You know, we all have that little doubt in the back of our mind about stuff you know, up up there, upstairs in the intellectual part with probability, you know, where probability rules. Um, but I know, I know that this is, this is the time, this is the path. Uh, this is exactly where I plan for things to be at this point in my life. So I'm, I'm, I'm embracing the, you know, the down part and the struggle with it and getting through that and uh, really starting to taste, feel how gratifying, how much fun. I've been waiting all my life to start having this fun. That's basically what I'm feeling on, on most days after, after, after I get out of bed and I'm rolling. Um, so that's the next part of my life. I want to establish uh, karmic freedom as a entity that lives beyond me. I want it to be an in, intact corporate structure. I want it to be um, a, a place, a hub that isn't just about me being part of it, uh, but it has its own life after I'm gone. So I I want it to get bigger. I want, um, I want to start pulling. I am in the process of pulling other people into karmic freedom, the organization of karmic freedom um, on a permanent basis so that it's not just as it was, Linda and Michael, it would just be Michael. It's going to be Michael and... In order for it to live on. And all these other people, yes. And Dude. and I have, no ha- I have no idea how big or how far that'll go, but I've got 20 to 30 years to find out. <laughs> there you go. So anyway... Um, Coming back to you and being struck by reality, I really want to congratulate you on having pulled that off. Uh, I can't imagine how hard that was to complete the book in the aftermath of physically dealing with what happened to your body and uh, everything that went with that. It's been a long, arduous climb up this hill for you. Yeah, and that the book had to be completed. It was a drive. It was a drive to honor the life of James. Yeah. And I could not sit still until it was done. And I just want to earmark that 
you've had a, some significant physical after effects by being struck by lightning. Yes. Uh, most people probably don't know this, but uh, it it does things that are permanent sometimes to people, and always years of things needing to reconnect and re reintegrate inside our bodies, our minds from a, a, a trauma like that. It's 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 major. And you just learn, you know, I've, I've had to just learn how to work through all, all of it and just allow it and be patient. Exactly. As it unfolds. Well, well, and you the know. the great news is, you know, now that I'm, I'm transitioning into this period, I have this, uh, there's uh, Hay House, uh, I Can Do It Tampa, coming to Tampa in... May Hay House is a publisher. It's a publisher. They're coming to Tampa, and that's for the I Can Do It uh, event, uh, 2023 event, and that's occurring May 19th through the 21st. And you'll be there. And I will be there doing a book signing at the event um, for Struck by Reality. So I want to... You know, reach out to your guests to if they're if they're interested to go to the event, come by and see me. I will be signing books twelve to one on Saturday, the twentieth, and um, I would love to hear that you've heard about me on the podcast. Me too, me too, and and your next project is called Peter Crane. Peter Crane Mountain Goat. It's it's a fiction book about uh, one mountain goat journey to lead his herd to a new territory while overcoming adversity. And this uh, story came about uh, over years while uh, I was exploring, you know, what what uh, the life of mountain goats look like. Right. And I wrote a story about it. Right. Because when you came to see my wife the first time, or you sat down with me the first time, and we talked about your chart, your North Node, your life's purpose is in Capricorn. And Capricorn, one of the symbols of Capricorn are mountain goats. So we were talking about mountain goats in terms of her spiritual path years ago when we started to work with her. And you latched onto that and really dived into the uh, imagery and the symbolism of the mountain goat, right, for yourself. In order to understand my own life purpose. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And, and, you know, that's been a a key aspect of me as an individual throughout my life. It's trying to understand things at a deeper level. Yep. And I wrote a story. And it's going to be great. I feel the story is going to reach, you know, lots of humans and connect with them on a heart level. Maybe it'll be another... Jonathan Livingston Siegel. For that, any of you out there who know that story, that book, it's it's in that genre. It is a fable meant to convey spiritual axioms, which is what that book was, and it went big when it came out. Yeah, and that book was a, it basically was a, a story about seagulls that was really a story about life. Right. And it's the same concept here because I copied yeah. that whole concept when I created this. Story. And didn't even know about the book at the time you did it. I didn't. David <laughs> gave it to me and he yeah. said, read it. And then I read it and said, okay, how am I going to start on this? And I just did, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just yeah. take it and go with it. Well, I can't wait to, I can't wait to read it the first time. Well, I'll make I can sure. I get my hands on it. <laughs> 
Uh, Karen, I want to thank you for being here today. Um, thank you for having me, Michael. It's we did an hour and 31 nice. minutes of podcast. Wow. This is the longest podcast I've ever done. I don't know if anybody's going to be able to tolerate an hour and a half. It's but been a great conversation. It is what it is. Uh, and, I'm pl- and I'm experimenting, playing around, so you have to take what you get for a while until I really understand what I'm doing. Anyway, uh, I I had a great time, and I want to thank you again for um, being with me today and um, sharing in this experience with me. Thank you for having me, Michael. It's always wonderful to have deep spiritual talks with you, and uh, I hope we do this again in the future. Oh, I I bet we do. (laughs) I hope we do it on stage one day. (laughs) I'm going to be spending a large part of the rest of my life with headphones on it and a microphone stuck in my mouth probably, yeah. Perfect. Thank you for listening, everybody. This is Michael Brady of Karmic Freedom, and uh, I will talk to you the next time. Thank you. Thank you.